Well, we are continuing our series. That is incorrect. We're starting Hosea today. We're continuing our series, Good Things Come in Small Packages, focusing on the minor prophets. And we are attempting to, to do one book one minor prophet per week, so we are moving quickly, kind of getting an overview of each of the books. Now, there are handouts available. Who has those? No one has those. Okay, let's remedy that right now. Doug's not here this morning, is he? That's what happened. Here you go, sir. Thank you. I'll keep one. So, Brandon is making a way... Uh, around with handouts for the book of Hosea. If you're following along in the Black Bibles that are provided, you'll find the book of Hosea beginning on page 474. 474 of the Black Bibles that are provided. In order to keep this to one message, we will be, of course, hitting highlights rather than um, hitting every verse, verse by verse. I would encourage you as we do these studies and you kind of get an overview, kind of get a theme and structure of the book, I would encourage you during the week sometime to read through the book in its entirety. Most of these minor prophets are brief enough, well, all of these minor prophets really are brief enough that you can read it in one sitting. Let's just pause for a moment and ask for God's help as we consider His Word. Lord, we are thankful this morning for the way in which You use Your Word, that it is timeless, that it is powerful, that we can learn even lessons from saints gone by. Help us this morning as we consider this brief book and the way in which You teach us about Your loyal love. May we be reminded of Your goodness and Your grace. In Christ's name, amen. One of the staple images that God uses to help us understand His relationship with His people, to understand His commitment to them, His love for them, one of the, one of the commonly used pictures that God uses is that of marriage. Anyone who is married can immediately begin to think of parallels between our relationship with our spouse and our relationship with God. So then it, it makes sense that God would use this imagery to illustrate so many spiritual truths concerning our relationship with Him. The beauty of the love and loyalty between two people is certainly an imperfect picture, but it is a powerful picture nonetheless of the deep and abiding relationship with God. Now, likewise, there is perhaps nothing more injurious to a marriage than sexual unfaithfulness. Infidelity brings a deep and abiding sting that is inexpressibly hard for some couples to get past if they've experienced it. That is, that is perhaps because of the 
the betrayal that is felt, the, the disloyalty that is suffered when immorality, when adultery is discovered. And so this ugly picture is also something that God uses. In fact, He chooses to use the prophet Hosea to illustrate the depths of tragedy that is associated with the the tragedy of unfaithfulness. Turn in your Bibles, if you've not already done so, to the book of Hosea, again, 474, if you're using the Black Bibles. Let me tell you just a quick bit about Hosea before we jump into the text. Hosea, probably the book was written somewhere in the range of 755 to 710, but Hosea himself had a very lengthy ministry, uh, very likely as long as 80 years And Hosea ministered to the northern kingdom. Now, you'll remember, and or if you have in front of you your handy-dandy little timeline, um, that it was the northern kingdom that was, uh, was rampant with evil, so much so that there was not a single godly king, there was not a single king in Israel, the northern kingdom, that was faithful to Yahweh. This was the kingdom to which Hosea ministered, but very unusual, it seems that Hosea was also a native of the northern kingdom. Now, that's, that's unusual because most prophets that ministered to the northern kingdom of Israel were actually from the southern kingdom of Judah. And they would, they would travel and speak to Israel and, and then go back home. Um, or they were called for a time to minister to the northern kingdom, yet Yet Hosea seems to to be from, in fact, in one place in the book of Hosea, he refers to the king of the north as our king. So Hosea was ministering in a difficult time. He was ministering not long before the northern kingdom's destruction at the hands of Assyria. Sin was rampant. Idolatry was the norm Israel was on the brink of destruction, and God sent them one final message of warning and love. And He did so with what you might think to be an unusual illustration. Look with me in Hosea at the very beginning of the book, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. In the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Verse 2, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, this is not the way you might expect a prophet to open a, a, a prophetic writing, the Lord commanding Hosea to go take to himself a wife of prostitution. Now, what exactly does that mean? 
Well, there are, I will tell you, a couple different views on exactly what is taking place in these early verses of Hosea. Um, the one that seems to be most consistent to me, and uh, good people will disagree, but the one that seems to be most consistent to me is that God is telling Hosea to go marry Gomer. And God is describing Gomer in terms of what he knows she will become, a woman of prostitution. Now, why do I say that? That this is, um, God is telling, her to telling him to marry her, yet she's not yet given herself to prostitution. Well, a couple, couple notes. God also states in these verses to take children of harlotry, right? But the children are as of yet unborn. And so these designations could very well be forward-looking designations. Furthermore, Hosea 9, verse 10, describes Israel when God found her. She was like sweet grapes in the wilderness and the first unspoiled fruits of the fig tree. It was only later, after God had found her and drawn her to himself, that she then became perverted. So, if Gomer is to truly picture Israel, then the most natural understanding, it seems to me, would be that she became a harlot after her marriage to Hosea. And so, this entire book becomes one living object lesson for the people of Israel to illustrate the covenant unfaithfulness that his people were exhibiting. This account is interspersed. It goes back and forth between narrative and sermon. The illustration is given and then the message is preached based on the illustration. Now, I've given you a brief outline you have there in your notes. I just kind of want to quickly take a, a, a really fast tour through the book of Hosea, look at some key passages, and then as we do that, um, I'm, I'm sure your mind will immediately already start to go to some of the lessons that we can learn, so we'll um, bring those out at the end. So we've already read the introduction to the book in chapter 1, verse 1. This is the command that is given to Hosea. He tells Hosea to marry a woman that will give herself to prostitution because this is what God's people are doing. They are violating the covenant relationship that has been forged with them, just like Hosea's wife would violate the covenant relationship that she participated in. Well, in chapters 1 and 2, we see the charge that is brought against the people. We see the people, we see uh, children born to Hosea and Gomer that are named these strange names that forecast the judgment that will come upon God's people. And after having abandoned her marriage relationship, after having gone after other lovers, ha ha having wallowed in the sin of adultery, now in chapter 3, God tells Hosea to go back again. The Lord said to me, chapter 3, verse 1, Go again, love a woman 
who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. The little note there about raisin cakes has to do with the uh, idolatrous worship uh, that was taking place, what was one of the offerings that were brought. And so, so this in verse 2 is exactly what Hosea does. He brings some kind of a dowry. We don't know to exactly to whom that was paid or whether that was a marriage gift in verse 2. And he brings her back again to himself in this brief little chapter, chapter 3. Verse 4, the children of Israel shall abide many days. Afterwards, the children, verse 5, afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. And so Hosea is then reunited. Hosea goes and loves this, this wicked woman who has forsaken her marriage commitments, just like God goes after his people. Just like God's love for wicked people who are committing spiritual adultery against God by their idolatry. It would not be long before Israel would be destroyed, before they would suffer judgment. But whatever judgment comes, God wants Israel to know. God wants the reader today to know that he loves his wife, Israel, with an unbelievable, patient love. And when judgment would come, and it would, it is clear that it was not motivated by, by blind rage, by out-of-control anger that seeks to destroy the party that caused the hurt. It was a result of a long process of deep, loyal, patient love on God's part. When we, when we think about the depths to which God's people had forsaken Him, when we think about the spiritual adultery that they were participating in, the question is not, why did God judge them? The question is, why did God wait so long? How could God be so patient with those violating their covenant with Him? Now, what is the root of the problem? Why is it that God's people are committing adultery spiritually. They're going after other gods. Well, chapter 4, verse 1 is another key verse for us to see. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy, watch this, or knowledge of God in the land. There's no knowledge of God in the land. We also see this back in chapter 2 and verse 8. At the heart of Israel's love for other idols was the idea that, that going after the benefits of other idols, having relationships with other idols, was fitting, was appropriate. Israel had no real understanding of the benefits that she was so desperately trying to preserve came from God's hand. The prosperity, the goodness, the blessing that Israel was going after as they worshipped other idols was from Yahweh, was from, was from God, their bridegroom.
In her desire to preserve the productivity of land, Israelites had turned to Baal. They had turned to the fertility gods to try to procure the blessings that were theirs in relationship with the one true God. In her desire to preserve wealth and riches, Israel turned to oppression and murder and injustice. We can kind of summarize all of this by saying Israel had no genuine knowledge of God. She knew about God. She even went to visit God in the temple sometimes. But there was no intimacy. There was no relationship. There was no commitment to God. And so so what is the message of Hosea? What is he trying to communicate to these people who who were committing spiritually the sin that was illustrated in his own marriage physically? Well, chapter 6 is the message that articulates that. And in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Come and let us return to the Lord. He is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. He will revive us again, verse 2. And so this imagery, this, this word return, is the one that is used in the Old Testament, which we might refer to in the New Testament in terms of repentance. The call is to repentance. Come, return to the Lord. And this this passage is a tender, it is a passionate appeal to return to God. To return to the one who loves you. To be reunited with the groom who yet woos you even though you run from him. He is torn, he is punished, he is wounded, but he will heal. He will bind up his people if they would but return to him. Now we know from history that tragically Israel continued to reject this wonderful, loving appeal. And as a result, in 722 B.C., Israel was defeated by the Assyrians never to exist again. Judah continued, God's people continued, the southern kingdom continued. They were scattered and and then reunited, but Israel was utterly destroyed by the Assyrians. And so, sadly, although the appeal was made, the call was made to repentance. God's people did not respond. They did not return to Him. They did not see the loving pursuit of God who went after them again and again. And after long patience, after long endurance of their infidelity, God finally judges Israel. So what do we, what do we learn from this little book of Hosea? Well, there's, there's several key ideas. I'm going to talk about five of them that are really the theme. And what I would encourage you to do is as you read through the book, Um, this week or in in coming days, maybe even uh, underline or highlight where you see these themes emerge in the book. Sometimes I like to to print out a copy of the text of Scripture on a sheet of paper. You can do that through a piece of Bible software. You can get online and uh, easily uh, download or, or print off a portion of Scripture. And then you can mark it up. You can mark these themes as they emerge. But the one thing that you will see over and over and over again 
is God's love. We sang about it this morning. We read about it in our scripture reading, our call to worship. But God's love comes up over and over and over again. His love for His bride is clearly expressed as He commands the prophet to demonstrate this love for His own unfaithful bride. The book of Hosea has nearly 20 references to the idea of God's love. In these few short chapters, the book of Hosea is only 14 chapters long. In these 14 brief chapters, multiple times, God's love comes up again and again. His, loving pers- his, his pursuit of His people is motivated by His love for His care for them. Now, that idea of love is, is closely wedded to the idea of loyalty. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago, Pastor Dan taught us a Hebrew word. We don't throw a lot of Greek and Hebrew words around, but this one is kind of an important. If you only know a handful of Hebrew words, this is one that you should know, right? Anybody, anybody pick up on the Hebrew word? It's chesed. You got to say it like you're clearing your throat. It's like chesed, right? That, this, this idea of chesed is, is generally translated in something in the neighborhood of love, but it's a much deeper meaning than that. It is the idea of loyal love, love that is faithful, love that is loyal to the cherished object. It is an action word that speaks of responsibility that each member, in a marriage context, a responsibility that each marriage partner has to this commitment, to this relationship, it weaves itself very much into the idea of covenant. And remember we said when we were doing the covenant series that, that marriage is the one remaining covenant that we still have in our culture. And undergirding that is this idea of, of chesed, of loyal love. Not just affection, not just emotion, not just sentimentalism, not just I like that person a lot, but that there is a deep and enduring loyalty expressed by this kind of love. You'll see it translated various ways by different translators, but all of it comes back to this idea of God's loyal love, His loving kindness that does not give way. So when we talk about love in the book of Hosea, we're not just talking about some fleeting affection or emotionalism or some romantic inclination. That, that's, that's the shallow, syrupy notion of love that is promoted in our society. What we are talking about when we're talking about God's love for His bride and, and the type of love that we should express is loyal love. Now, how is that expressed? Well, that's another theme that emerges very quickly in the book of Hosea as you read it, and it's this idea of faithfulness. Loyal love that is spoken of does not exist in a void. It is seen in concrete expressions of faithfulness. Right? You stand, those of you that are married, you stood at one time at a marriage altar. And you you looked at that other person and with your knees knocking and a quiver in your voice, you said, forsaking all others. 
It's a call to loyalty, faithfulness. So the call to love God, likewise, is a call to faithfulness. It is a call to loyalty. What does James 4.4 say? The same imagery is brought over into the New Testament by the author James when he says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you're going to be tight with, if you're going to be cozy with, if you're going to be worldly, that is making you the enemy of God. And how does he address it? Notice the very beginning of that verse. You adulterers and adulteresses. He's using that, of course, as a spiritual term. Spiritual adultery, because friendship with the world is making yourself the enemy of God. Are you going to be loyal or not? A lot of people talk about loving God. It's easy, it's cheap to talk about, oh, I'm sure I love God. Oh, how I love Jesus, we'll sing, right? The real question that, that better gets to the heart of the issue is not, do you say you love God, but are you loyal? That is the kind of love that God expresses for His people. And in turn, it is the kind of love that we are called upon, forsaking the world, setting the, the love and affection and pursuit of the world aside, and focusing on the one who loves us. As we read in our call to worship, we love Him, we love Him because He first loved us. And so faithfulness is intrinsically linked to the loyal love that God expresses for His people and that we in turn must express to Him. A few years ago when I was a youth pastor, um, some of the young men in my youth group, we were on a retreat, asked me a question. And I think they thought it was going to stump me, but they were befuddled with the notion of God's expression of jealousy in the Old Testament. You ever notice those references? How often God says he is jealous? And so they said, Pastor, Pastor V, how can it be that God is without sin, yet it says in Scripture that he is jealous? I said, let me ask you a question. Suppose you were married, and you were, everything was going great, and you had a happy marriage, and all of a sudden you find out that your wife is cheating on you. How would that make you feel? Well, obviously, the natural answer, I'd be hurt, I'd be angry, I'd be, okay, now let's talk about that for a minute. Would you be justified in, in feeling that way, in feeling betrayed and hurt and even a bit angry? Well, yeah, yeah, I'd be justified in that. Could that be described as jealousy? Hmm. You see, the difference between God's jealousy and our jealousy is we get jealous over things that we have no right to. We tend to get jealous about the things that, that aren't ours in the first place. It's closely read, wedded with envy. But when God is jealous over something, His jealousy is a righteous, holy, perfect jealousy 
that is justified. Is God jealous? Yes. He's jealous over His people. And He will not tolerate spiritual adultery. Yet He will continue to pursue His people. He will continue to call them to Himself. He will continue to call them to repentance, to turn from others, from false gods. And so, jealousy is very much a theme of the book of Hosea, but don't confuse it with carnal jealousy, with, with human jealousy. It is a righteous and holy jealousy. And of course, we've touched on it all the way through. When God's loyal love is expressed in His faithfulness, He calls others, He calls His, His bride back to Himself. He's jealous over her, and what is the right response? Well, all throughout the book of Hosea, His people are called to repentance, to return, and He will forgive. I've had the heartache of counseling in my pastoral career, a few couples that have gone through the hurt, the pain, the difficulty of infidelity. When one spouse has been unfaithful to the other, one of the hardest things for that hurt spouse, for that betrayed spouse to do is to forgive. It's a beautiful picture that God offers His forgiveness. Even, even to the one who has forsaken him, the one who has been unfaithful to him, the one who has, has over and over again, who has run from him after other lovers, yet God will forgive. He patiently and lovingly calls his bride back to himself. And what a wonderful picture that transcends testaments, that, that transcends covenants, that God is a forgiving God. Don't you rejoice this morning that He is faithful, that He calls us to Himself. What does the New Testament say? If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. It doesn't belittle our sin. It doesn't belittle our unfaithfulness. In fact, when we really understand the depths of our depravity, when we really understand the significance of our sin, that is when we can see how marvelous and loving and forgiving God is. And so God continues to call people to Himself. He continues to call His own, His own people back to right relationship with Him. And I want you to go to the end of the book of Hosea and see what this looks like in relation to His people Israel. Chapter 14, verses 4 and 5 give us several promises for those that will return to him. He says in chapter 14, verse 4, I will heal, heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. And he goes on. So we see in this passage spiritual healing. I will heal their backsliding. Their, their constant Turning again to idolatry is, is pictured here as a, as a disease that they cannot heal themselves of, but God promises to heal them. We see in these verses God's gracious love. He says, I will love them freely, constantly, continually is the idea there. I will, I will continue to pour out my love upon them. 
And then he says in verse 5, I will be as dew. There will be spiritual renewal. He will make all things new. And of course, we know that God kept his covenant to his people. Although Israel, the kingdom of Israel was destroyed, God preserved his people through the southern kingdom of Judah. He, he reunited them. And, and one day when that new covenant is fully enacted, God will bring himself, his people back to himself. They will once again be in close, intimate fellowship as God reunites with Israel after they have returned and repented. I wonder sometimes, do we think that God, we are beyond forgiving? Do we think that, that God will not uh, take us back, that God will not restore us? Oh, God is so patient. He is so loving. And we see in this book a, an illustration of, a, of one who, who loves his bride, who continues to go after her and stands ready to forgive when she comes back to him. What a beautiful picture that the prophet Hosea, by the direction of God, has laid out of a faithful husband who pursues his bride with loyal love and is ready to forgive when she returns. Father, we pray that in these moments that we've had to consider your word, that you would strike our hearts with the depths of our own sin, our own unfaithfulness, But even, Lord, as we do that, may we rejoice in your forgiveness.